The Virginia Cavaliers, were they or weren't they one of the ones that wanted the ACC expansion to actually take place? That is one of the topics we will discuss along with an actual outlook on what's happening with camp at the Virginia football side of things right now to kick off covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. JerryRatcliffe.com founder. Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe at Jerry Ratcliffe on Twitter as well. Stepping into the fast lane, Hootie ACC expansion talks to add Cal, Stanford, and or SMU did not get enough approval for a formal vote to be taken place. Obviously, you only take a vote if you're actually going to uh, get the approval and push it through. Where did Virginia stand on this possibility? Well, from what we understand, Ed, that Virginia was not opposed to it. At least if they did, they didn't voice that opinion. And uh, apparently it was NC State, North Carolina, Florida State, and Clemson that voted, that uh, said hard no. And uh, it doesn't sound like any of them are going to budge. But, uh, <laughs> excuse me, as far as we have heard, Virginia... Had it come to a vote, would have probably said yes. Uh, Probably the Notre Dame influence, I'm guessing. Why in the world do people listen to what Notre Dame has to say on something like this when Notre Dame is never going to be a full member of the ACC? That's a good question. I think a lot of people should be asking that, including the ACC. Uh, I don't know why you would ever bring a school in as not a full member and give them full membership voting rights. And if the ACC ends up busting apart, Ed, I think Notre Dame's probably to blame because they could save the ACC by just simply becoming a full-time member, and they refuse to do so. I'm with you on that in 100%. I understand there's value to Notre Dame to a certain extent, but, I mean, if you're in, you're in. If you're not, you're not. And, uh, you know, it's okay to be a partial member, but it just it blows my mind that people actually listen to what they have to say on something like ACC expansion, which the other schools are left holding the bag, not Notre Dame. Uh, Virginia, speaking of where they are right now in terms of camp, um, conclusively, are you more optimistic about this offense or are you just like we are, which is wait and see until maybe not even the Tennessee game, but the JMU game after they go down to Nashville and presumably have that tough contest as a four-touchdown underdog? Well, I think you're spot on there. I think I don't think we'll be able to tell a whole lot about this team in the Tennessee game because it's such a mismatch. Uh, I'm actually headed over to, to uh, football interviews now. The practice is almost over for today. And um, I, I, I think it's a wait and see for everybody. I, I don't think anybody's convinced right now that this offense is going to be prolific or, or even anywhere close to that until we actually see it against live competition. Uh, I don't think you can get that much out of scrimmaging yourself. But, uh, yeah, I think JMU and Maryland will give us a much more clearer picture as to whether this offense is going to click or not than the opener at Tennessee. I I just don't see that game being a, a true indication of how of what this offense is going to be like. 
Yeah, it's hard to figure that out. I mean, if you're close, maybe it's because you score late. There are more ways to envision that scenario unfolding. Last one for you, Hootie, as we always envision the analysis that's coming at jerryratcliffe.com. Um, a cool story. Matt Gaynard, 34-year-old. He's just a couple of years younger than I am. He's older than Trey is, and he's trying out to be the kicker at the University of Virginia how much do you like camp just for the fact that this type of preseason time might be able to be really the one chance you get to focus on some type of a neat story like this? Well, it is a unique story to a degree. Uh, I don't, I can't ever remember a guy of that age trying out for a Virginia team. Uh, it's a neat story. He's a former uh, Marine, I think, helicopter pilot. And... Um, He's worked out with Nick Novak, who actually grew up in Albemarle County and went on to become the ACC's all-time leading uh, scorer, I believe, for Maryland, and had a nice NFL career. And and so Ganyard has worked out with him and and got uh, high marks. And even Tony Elliott said the other day he's got some pop to his legs. So I think Tony would like to have it to where uh, his – kicker doesn't handle PATs, kickoffs, and field goals. So there might be, you know, he might be able to find a place on this football team. And uh, I hope so because he seems like a really good guy. He has shunned interviews because he doesn't want to take any attention away from the team and onto himself. He's, He's a team player for sure. And so that's the kind of guy you root for and hope that he can have some kind of an impact. It'd be cool to see that. Just a unique, different story, as many of them are unique, different stories at jerryratcliffe.com. Hootie, thank you for your time today in the Fast Lane. Much appreciated. Always glad to be with you, Ed. Thank you. Our pleasure. Jerry Ratcliffe talking some Virginia Cavaliers. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokey, hokey, hokey high. With David Cunningham of techsideline.com at the real D. Cunningham. On Twitter and Instagram, David, a pleasure to be speaking with you. We are a little bit further along in camp. Is the quarterback battle between Kyron Jones and Grant Wells a little bit further along towards the conclusion of who will actually get the call in a couple of weeks? Saturday, September the 2nd at 6 p.m. when Old Dominion and Virginia Tech square off on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and VTR in Southside 106.3. Yeah, Ed, great to be with you. I think... It, it's tough. I, I think while while nobody will admit it within the program, I, I think this is leaning much toward Grant Wells going to be the starter, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think Wells is that much farther ahead. He looks confident. He looks comfortable. And, and not that Dry, Kyron Drones looks a little bit uncomfortable, but he doesn't look as polished um, in, in everything he does as Grant Wells. Um, and I think right now the coaching staff completely believes in, in Grant Wells. He's obviously uh, the incumbent. He was last year's starter. If I had to put money on it right now, I would say it's 100% going to be Grant Wells um, right now. Now, stuff could change. I, I think the coaching staff is hoping that sometime in the next two weeks, the light bulb comes on for Kyron Drones, and he starts to develop an even better understanding of everything to the point where he might not have uh, as good of an arm as Grant Wells, but his athletic ability and his experience and understanding of the offense uh, kind of outweighs that of Grant Wells' arm and everything else. 
I don't know if that time will come. That's the big question. Everybody's kind of waiting to see if Grant Wells, if Kyron Jones can kind of catch Grant Wells, so to speak. Uh, and I think Wells right now is kind of running away with it a little bit. From Virginia Tech's perspective, one of the interesting developments that's popped up has been the tight end Daquan Wright. He's been out quite a bit the last week or so. Is it just load management injury related, or is there perhaps something more that might indicate his availability for the opener against Old Dominion? Again, 6 o'clock airtime on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg, Saturday, September 2nd, and maybe beyond that as well. Yeah, I think it's just a strain. I believe that's what Pry said uh, when we spoke with them on Friday. I believe it's just a little strain, and they're just holding him out precautionary for now. Um, I don't know whether or not to expect him back. But honestly, I don't think – yet. yes, Daquan Wright can be a force for Virginia Tech, but I don't think him not being in the offense takes away uh, or completely limits what Virginia Tech is able to do. Uh, the Okies have a lot of a lot more weapons. Now, what I do think is a big one is Bashal Tootin. He's somebody that the Okies are just holding out again with precautionary stuff. Um, he got a little bit of a nick, I believe, in practice the other day, just a little bit banged up. He's somebody, though, that if he, the Okies do not have him, that would be worrisome. I think the Okies are okay with Daquan Wright because Nick Gallo is a guy who, as you spoke with him at Media Day, uh, Ed, Nick Gallo is a guy who's been around the program for a while, and the Hokies are pretty well set off at tight end. Benji Gosnell behind him has, has made some strides. So I do think the Daquan Wright injury, it, it, we're going to keep the, we're gonna keep an eye on it. We can update you next week on it. I'm sure you will find out more, as we will, over the next couple days. But um, I, I'd be more concerned, honestly, about the Bayshaw Tootin front. Agreed 100%. How much of that's in part because you need the strong running game to maybe alleviate pressure on that ever-gelling and uncertain offensive line, and the easiest way to do that is to have a strong running game that uh, frees things up in the passing game more. Yeah, well, I think especially when you look at the fact that Malachi Thomas uh, has had his own injury, right? That They have not had a healthy running back in quite some time that's been that consistent. And so I think Virginia Tech just needs that. The Hokies need a running back to just come out and run the ball consistently and stay healthy. And that is a big red flag if Bayshaw Putin can't stay healthy in preseason camp. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Again, Pride was precautionary. It wasn't anything super serious. Basalton has been at practice. Uh, he's just been wearing like a leg brace, a leg sleeve. Uh, so the hope, I think, is that he's going to be fine. But yes, Virginia Tech has not had a consistent run game in a while, has not had a healthy running back in a while. Uh, on a consistent basis. So that is a big red flag, and the Hokies are going to need him if they want to make some do, do any damage this year, especially because Malachi Thomas has not proven to, to be a healthy, reliable option on a consistent basis in the past. The damage is always a good kind from David Cunningham of TechSideline.com and at the Real D A on his social media platforms. David, appreciate your time today. We will keep it locked for more info and look forward to chatting again in another week. Sounds good, Ed. Talk to you then. Now to... 
the Liberty Flame. With John Manson, a seaofred.com reporter and founder covering the Liberty Flames and joining us here in the Fast Lane. John, a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, you know, Liberty finally had uh, a press conference with head football coach Jamie Chowell, understandably, I might add, being the only one who met with the media this past Friday, and they'll start to open things up a little bit more later this week in terms of availability for coaches, uh, you know, in, in trying to get things going on that particular front. Um, there's obviously the human angle, and that's the most important one after the tragic passing of Taj Boyd. There is a football angle to this, though, as well, in terms of Liberty University and the juggling of that tragedy and trying to battle through that. And you could clearly see it Friday how it impacted Jamie Chabwell and uh, understandably the rest of his program. For the Liberty Flames, though, they do have a, a season which they're try- for which they're trying to prepare. What were your takeaways from head coach Jamie Chabwell meeting with the media in terms of how to balance? that very challenging, delicate, fine line. Yeah, always a pleasure to be on with you, Ed. It, it's, uh, that was exactly my uh, biggest takeaway from the uh, press conference was he's still trying, Coach Chadwell speaking there, he's still trying to figure out how to balance this. I mean, it's you know something that he's never had to deal with and not uh, many uh, FBS head football coaches have, and that's uh, thankfully so. But uh, having to deal with, with the tragedy like that of, of one of your teammates, somebody that you've been with, uh, night and day for, for several weeks and even months going into the summer and back to the spring uh, and having him uh, pass away so tragically and suddenly um, and obviously unexpectedly, then, you know, it just kind of throws your whole team for, for a, a, a loop or, or try to figure out how, how to, you know, assess, how to move on, how to deal with this tragedy. And, and he talked a lot about how uh, counselors have been made available for, for the team, coaches, players, staff alike. Uh, they, counselors have been there at practice to uh, to speak with uh, players as need be. And, you uh, you know, but at the same time, still going about their day-to-day business of, you know, you still got a job to do. You still uh, have a team to prepare. Uh, and, you know, as we all know, it's only about, you know, what, two and a half weeks now until uh, September 2nd when the season gets started. And, uh, you know, you have to deal with the tragedy, but at the same time prepare for, for you know, the job that lays ahead. John, I know it's red meat for a fan base to talk about the crowd and the atmosphere, but is there maybe an added level of value for this Liberty Flames team opening up at home? Heck, their first two games of the year are at Williams Stadium before they head on the road and uh, get that portion of their season underway. Is there added value for Liberty with that type of a setup, knowing that you know they're going to be doing all they can in terms of preparation-wise to get themselves mentally ready and physically ready and emotionally ready for the season the season opener but they may need an extra lift for the home opener and playing at home versus on the road what you would think would have to provide that in a much more obvious manner yeah that's a great point ed and and i think too to add to that is it's one less thing to, to deal with to worry about you know you don't have to worry about your travel schedule or making sure you get to the team bus right or get on the flight right and there's no, you know, missed flights and late flights, delayed flights, all that stuff. It's just you're going to the team hotel here in town that you're familiar with and, and going to uh, the same routine that, that you're used to and that I'm sure they practice throughout camp and will continue to practice throughout camp. Uh, you know, because obviously you're, you're dealing with 
this tragedy, but as well as a new coaching staff, uh, you know, school getting ready to start up. 50% of the roster is, is new players to, to the team. So it's just a lot of new pieces, a lot of change that has happened. So one less piece to deal with. I think that's uh, that, that can be a huge benefit for the Flames uh, the first couple weeks. And, and obviously, like you alluded to, also having that uh, that home crowd to kind of pick them up when, when they may uh, be you know facing adversity on the field, uh, when, when the uh, lights are shining, even though they won't be shining there uh, high noon on, on Saturday, September 2nd. Last one for you, John. We appreciate the work at J.C. Manson on Twitter and to seaofred.com. Quarterback battle. Everyone's wondering the direction in which that will go because of the adjusted practice schedule over the last weekend change after the tragic passing of Taj Boyd. Is it harder to get a definitive read on where that and frankly a lot of other position battles stand just because Liberty is to an extent trying to play catch up and get back on the right foot in that regard? Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and understandably so, but practice and media access has pretty much been uh, shut down for, for over a week now. And, uh, you know, we've only had a chance to, to watch 30 minutes of one practice, the very first practice of camp, uh, and only had the uh, interview sessions there with, with Coach Chadwell twice now. And, and uh, you know, haven't been able to speak to, to many players at all and only one assistant coach so far. That, that'll start to change this week, kind of like you mentioned. Uh, we'll, we'll get some open practice periods, and, and uh, we're supposed to meet with quarterback coach uh, Willie Corn here this week as well, too. So we'll start to get some light on on what's been going on, not just at the quarterback position, but some of the other positions as well. But uh, I mean, from everything I hear, it's you know Jonathan Bennett and Caden Salter are the two going back and forth. I think Coach Chadwell mentioned at, at his uh, first press conference of camp, going back a couple weeks now, uh, that he would like to have eight practices with. His is QB1 in play, so uh, that would put us up to you know middle part of next week. He'd like to have a starter name, so we, we'll probably get some uh, some insight this week, and uh, we'll certainly have all that uh, coverage for, for everybody at Sea uh, Red, obviously. John, a pleasure to speak with you as always. Thank you much once again, and look forward to uh, chatting again in the next few days. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Ed. Our pleasure. John Manson from AseaOfRed.com. When we return Part two of covering the Commonwealth, including thoughts on that NASCAR race at Indianapolis when we return here in the fast lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.